Good morning. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Kaveh Movahead. The state legislature started its annual meeting this week. It's an odd-numbered year, so they'll meet for 60 days instead of the 30 days assigned to even-numbered years. The rules dictating these schedules allow lawmakers to consider things other than spending in the longer sessions. But in even-numbered years, when time is shorter, their hands are tied from considering things like gun violence, health care, or countless other topics unless state money is involved or the governor directs the legislature's attention to them. Beyond the limits of the tight schedule, Lawmakers are tasked with understanding dozens of bills each session without full-time staffers to help them. They often rely on industry insiders, lobbyists, or activists to learn how proposed legislation will work. Furthermore, New Mexico legislators do their work without a salary, earning only what they get for a per diem, which is much too low to cover their stay in Santa Fe. On this episode of Let's Talk New Mexico, we'll discuss a movement to modernize our state legislature. Would you support paying politicians if the result was a more professional class of lawmaker? Would you consider running for office if you didn't have to worry about keeping a job at the same time? Do you think the honor of public service is reward enough for legislators? Email letstalk at kunm.org or call in live at 505-277-5866. Let's start the show with our first guest this morning on the phone with us from Albuquerque is former New Mexico State Representative Kay Bungua. She was appointed to the office in the summer of 2021 when Cheryl William Stapleton resigned after facing a criminal investigation. In 2022, Kay decided not to keep, not to run to keep the elected seat. Thanks for coming on the show to share your expense experience was with us this morning, Kay. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. First off, how did you find yourself in a position to be considered to fill that empty seat? Were you politically active? In some ways, maybe not in the traditional sense in other ways, but um, I'd been working in the community for a number of years, specifically within Southeast Albuquerque in the International District. Um, I ran a nonprofit called the New Mexico Asian Family Center, and we've been doing a lot of organizing in the area, thinking about the health issues, thinking about the issues that impact families and kids directly. And when the opportunity came up, um, I was asked by a few folks and um, put my name in the hat, and it was uh, a very humbling and honoring uh, honored experience and um, I have so much gratitude for it and um, it didn't necessarily work for for me and my family. Okay well you took over the seat late in the summer and our legislature meets in the winter. What were those first months as a state representative like? Was it busy from the get-go? I mean it was overwhelming. You get kind of thrown in. Um, There's not a lot of support um, even though there is a great um, uh, legislative council services and, and mentors and folks who um, try and get you on board, but it's just a lot to learn really quickly, even though from the outside I've been part of advocacy efforts for for a while. Um, to be in it was something entirely different, and um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, um, going to the meetings, meeting everybody you you want to meet and you need to meet, um, and and trying to do a good job representing the area, um, a lot of times means showing up and to build those relationships, and that meant a lot to me, and it was something that I wanted to prioritize, and um, also recognize that I also had a full-time job. Um, I had a small child at home. She was two at the time, um, and going into three and um, even though I had so much privilege and that I was able to do it, um, I took time off of work, I took leave, I took um, vacation, <laughs> I basically took everything I could possibly do to make sure I could do um, to show up for for the legislative uh, session and other pieces. Um, there was still a great amount of burden and barriers for me to do um, to do both to be or to do all of it right to be a mom and a partner and to hold a full time job and to do the legislative work felt nearly impossible to do any of it well. Well, during the session, that thirty day session in twenty twenty two, can you kind of describe what your work days were like? Um, pretty chaotic. <laughs> um, it, it was one of those times where uh, we were still in the midst of the pandemic and still are today. Um, but we had some virtual options. So <clears throat> I was incredibly lucky in that 
there was another option for us, um, but uh, it, it was still quite difficult because while I took off work, I was still trying to manage some of my work duties um, in between uh, all the other legislative meetings and um, how to manage my kid in some ways and figure out uh, care for her and make sure she was happy and okay and um, to do all the work with our legislative staff that is assigned specifically to you um, at all times and uh, to, to get all the numbers of bills and amendments at all hours of the day, um, all the things that our incredible legislators do um, on a regular basis, right? Um, that to me was um, kind of awe-inducing uh, in in many ways, inspiring um, and uh, just just completely overwhelming. We were trying to pass uh, things that we've been working on in the community for for years, actually a decade plus um, in language access, and many others had done it even longer than that. We were successful, which was so exciting to see our our, our efforts passed and signed into law. Um, so in so many ways, like so much excitement in doing the work. Um, again, very humbling, very honoring. And um, it, it definitely took a toll on my family, my health, my own um, personal uh, um, men- mental state as well um, in terms of all the things that we were trying to juggle um, in order to do this it, incredible work of public service. It sounds really hard. I wonder, was there any kind of, you mentioned the legislative council service, but was there any other kind of mentorship or other assistance or were you kind of on your own to figure out how to do the job? Well, they, we have um, great leadership in the House, so some of that was set up. They did have a mentorship program going into it. Um, a lot of it is uh, supported, and there is some self-initiation involved with it. Um, and in a lot of ways, right, there's a lot of folks in the House um, trying to get support, so um, it felt very... Um, Yes, there are support structures there, and right there could be much more in terms of infrastructure and support for uh, for legislators and for the staff. And um, it's incredibly uh, there's a lot going on, right? And um, it's hard, and it's controversial, and there's lots of things that are moving at all times. And I always am such a huge advocate of how can we also support mental health services within the legislature um, for not only. Uh, the legislators there, the staff, but also some of the advocates and community members who go up there on a regular basis. Um, there are some toxic things that happen. We've seen recently some of the sexual assault allegations. That's not new um, and right, uh, something that needs to be addressed. And we need to think about safety in all forms for, for our community. I think I've heard that substance use is fairly common, you know, uh, alcohol, especially in the roundhouse. Is that something that you encountered? I mean, I think we saw instances during the last session of how that was used and how that affected people. And um, I I think, again, if we had the support, if we had extra care around um, what it is that we all do, um, maybe the the consequences or the impacts would would look a little different. So I think in terms of overall infrastructure within the roundhouse and within the legislative um, process overall um, would be incredibly helpful in thinking about who's able to be there, what does really success look like, how can people thrive in that kind of environment. Um, I think beyond recruiting diversity, which I know in the House, which was what I was a part of, did such an incredible job of bringing in folks with different perspectives, different lived experiences, and how do we make sure those people don't burn out, that they can be, um, be retained in ways um, so long as the people right want to see that um, and make sure that they do that in a way that um, really supports their livelihoods, their um, their own all forms of health that they have and make sure that their families are, are well too in those situations. Okay. Uh, We actually have a caller already. It's not too far into the show, but let's go ahead and listen to Bill from Los Lunas. What would you like to add this morning, Bill? Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I believe that they should get paid for the 30 and 60-day sessions. Uh, A 30-day session would be $1,500. A 60-day session would be $3,000. And special sessions and come up would be 1500 I'm also concerned about the cost of security for these people based on the facts of local and national news as we speak today. We, 
also have to understand that uh, when union bosses uh, are doing union work, they don't get fired from their local jobs just to do that work. Thank you and enjoy your day. Okay, thanks, Bill. Um, $1,500 isn't a whole lot of money. I think that's something like $50 a day. I'm not good at math, but, you know, uh, that's as good as it gets on the radio. Um, But let's talk about security. Kay, when you were, you said you were in that kind of remote session, but you also spent some time in the roundhouse. Uh, Was security an issue that you thought about a lot or that, you know, was uh, effective on your mental wellness, well-being? I think for myself, it wasn't something I necessarily thought about. I did a lot of the sessions at home, um, and then I did when I went in person. It felt safe. Um, That said, there is so much going on nationally, worldwide, and then even locally, as you all know. um, There's been some shootings at some of um, our elected colleagues uh, at their houses and that to me is always terrifying the safety of all of our people all of the people in New Mexico should be at the forefront of everybody's um, awareness and their care um, so I think it is definitely an issue I think it is one of um, the conversations of this whole idea of professionalizing and modernizing the legislature. And I know we've got some great experts on um, the call today who can speak to some of these more in specifics. Um, but in terms of overall, like what is needed, it's, um, you know, it's not just one thing as part of the equation. I think pay is one of it. Security is one of it. Paid staff in general is definitely a large part of it. So we really need to think about that comprehensive look as to what is needed for the structure to continue on and to attract new talent, new folks who really care about the issues that may not have the opportunities themselves to be able to step into that place. Okay, let's go ahead and bring in another voice to the conversation right now. Here in the studio, we have Kathleen Sabo, the executive director of New Mexico Ethics Watch, an advocacy group that's been working toward legislative reform and good ethical government. I'll mention that some of our listeners may remember Kathleen as the host of our Thursday morning call-in show years ago, and we miss her. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Kathleen also has roots in the legislature itself. She's a former legislative staffer. Is that right? That's accurate. Cave, yeah, for many years. Okay, well, let's just start at the beginning. I know you've taken issue with the idea that we have a citizen, quote, citizen legislature. Why isn't that the ideal for a democracy? Well, where where we come from is that the using the term citizen legislature is really a misnomer. Every legislature is a citizen legislature. It's made up of citizens. It serves citizens. What we have really in Santa Fe is either a, a big interest or a special interest legislature where only the moneyed or retirees or people who are willing to try it out and then find it doesn't work can serve or seek to influence or cater to legislators up there as well. Okay, well, last week you pointed to me in a presentation from UNM's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. We call it Bieber. It's the acronym. Uh, They polled lawmakers and found that 95% want paid staffers, 90% want a salary, and about 80% said they don't have enough time in a session to do the job the way they'd like to. Do you remember whether lawmakers had the same concerns when you were working with them? Yes, and 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 probably probably the last time I worked up there was about eight years ago. So and things have changed even in those eight years. But those were those were always concerns. But I think people were more attached to this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to continue to do it. There's sort of a quaintness and a charm to to part of what happens up there at the session. And people there there's many times an inertia to make. To make change, even when it's very clear, as in this case, that the public's behind it, academics are behind it, lawmakers are behind it, and the and there's really a big momentum now for a change, which to make the legislature serve New Mexico and New Mexicans, which we don't believe it does right now. 
Okay, I'd like to talk more about that, but we have to pause for just a moment. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Kaveh Movahead. We're taking your calls about modernizing or professionalizing our state legislature. Call us at 505-277-5866. We'll be right back. Connect to your local community by becoming a KUNM business underwriter. Program support through underwriting highlights your business while supporting news and locally curated music. To become a business underwriter, contact Kelly at 505-277-3969. Forty years ago, conductor Giovanni Antonini helped launch the musical movement toward playing works from 300 years ago as we think they might have been played back in the day. He and his group Il Giardino Armonico are on the way in concert on the next performance today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, Mexican singer-songwriter Natalia Lafourcade invites us all to seek refuge in music. I needed to go back to my own exploring of the music and to try something different, new, to reinvent me as an artist. That's next time on Latino USA, That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Kaveh Movahead. We're talking to former state representative Kay Bungua and Kathleen Sabo from New Mexico Ethics Watch. Would you consider running for the state legislature if it was a job that could pay your bills? Call 505-277-5866 or tweet to us with the hashtag Let's Talk NM to tell us your ideas. Kathleen, uh, your focus is on ethical government. I think the easiest line to draw to ethics would be from lawmakers' reliance on special interests for education on bills. Ethics Watch wrote a report on that a couple of years ago. How are lobbyists and others taking advantage of the current structure? You know, there's so many ways, and and that report was called the out uh, was called lobbying in the land of enchantment, and um, and you can find it on our website, but. Uh, so what happens is um, lots of times in the current structure, I'm just going to give one example. Meetings will go late. I remember when I was staffing the the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, we'd, we'd have meetings at midnight. Sometimes they'd go to 2 a.m. The only people who really can afford to be there during those meetings to represent interests are lobbyists. They're there and they're talking to legislators and and, and many are good people. I'm not disparaging the people. I'm, I'm talking about the system here. So, and and they get to contribute to campaigns. Uh, in one report we did, we found, you know, 60% of one uh, representative's total campaign contributions came from one industry alone. So what what happens when that's what's going on for people? You know, what's, what's, what are the expectations in return? It's just, it's not a system that promotes um, equal access to legislators. Uh, and, and by modernizing, by professionalizing, we can do that, and we ought to. Kay, I wonder if this sounds familiar to you. Did you ever have to ask special interests for help because you just didn't have the resources to do research on your own? Um, it is really difficult, I will say, when you're getting amendments, you're getting changes at the last minute, and then you're going up to vote. Um, I worked a lot with community organizations on the ground, um, worked with a lot of folks who um, have specialty, uh, such as Mexico Voices, other organizations. Um, so in a lot of ways, I leaned on folks who I thought had more of that lived experience, the day-to-day experience, um, and I right, saw a lot of folks who um, went to lobbyists, saw Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. Uh, I can just barely hear you, and I just got a signal from the engineer that they can't hear you. So I'm sorry, listeners didn't hear that answer. Maybe we can come back to it in just a bit. I'll go ahead and move on though. Uh, let's introduce our next guests this hour. We have the authors of a report called. A report on legislative professionalism for the state of New Mexico. Uh, I don't think they're surprised by any of the conversation we've had so far this morning. Here with me in studio are Professor Timothy Krebs, UNM Political Science Department Chair, and Political Science Associate Professor Michael Rocca. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
Okay. Uh, Professor Krebs, let's start with you. Your findings aren't all that different from the Bieber presentation we talked about a little bit earlier, but you were able to get way more in depth. How did you settle on issues of staffers, salaries, and session length as kind of the key topics? Well, these are the things that sort of came forward from the literature, the, the research that's been done on this question. These are the, these are the kinds of things that seem to have the clearest effects. Uh, in terms of enhancing the capacity of legislatures to to function uh, effectively, to represent constituents, to make policy, to negotiate with governors, um, and these kinds of things. Okay. Uh, Professor Rocca, your top recommendation is not to extend the calendar for longer sessions, though that is among your tips. Instead, you say the best thing New Mexico can do to improve the quality of of its legislature is to hire more paid staff. Why is that so important? Couldn't lawmakers do their own work if they have more time? Uh, That's a really good question. And and I want to go back to a term that Tim just used, and that's capacity. When we think about legislative professionalization, it's not meant to suggest some sort of level of competency, competency or skill. When you hear professionalization or modernization, what we should be hearing is capacity, legislative capacity to do the work that legislators are hired to do, are asked to do. And so staff is really critical in that, in that entire dynamic. And it, it is, the mo- for us, it's the most important of all, those di- of all those resources that legislators need to have in order to have the capacity to do the work of the people. Okay, you just use both terms modernization and professionalization. We've kind of been using them interchangeably, but I think you probably made a choice to use professionalization in your paper. Uh, how do you see the differences in those two? That's a great. Yeah, modernization is is the is probably the more current term in the among the public. Professionalization is the term used in political science and in political science research going all the way back to the 1940s and 50s. So the term that we adopt in our report is professionalization just to remain consistent with where the academic research is. Modernization is sort of the the hot new term that legislatures and and legislators use when it comes to uh, legislative reform just recently. Okay. Uh, We have a caller from Santa Fe. Nicole is on the line. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hi. Good. Hi. Good morning. Um, I am calling to show my support um, for paying our legislators, and I actually think that there are two different things that we need to talk about, which are making sure we have professional staff to support the legislators, and in addition to that, paying our legislators. I get to work with um, legislators all over the country. Um, at the state level, and I work with also people at the federal level. And at the end of the day, they need staff to do the research, to create um, the, to, to find the data, to really, you know, the issues that they're looking at are so complex that they need that type of research and support to be able to determine what is best for the people that they represent. And in terms of paying our legislators, it is so vital. I mean, if Alabama can pay $50,000 a year for their legislators to ensure that they have quality people, why can't New Mexico? It, it, I, as a Hispanic woman who is from New Mexico, multi-generation, I want to see other people who look like me as a mother. But I know that I myself could never take the time from my career to serve. I would love to. But I don't have that luxury. And I know that there's a lot of other people who are like me who would love to be able to go in and at least be active in some way, shape, or form. But unless our legislators are paid, like they are in every single other state in this country, it just doesn't allow the opportunity for diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, and for full representation. Okay, thank you, Nicole. I, Kay, I wonder if you might have a reaction or response to Nicole's comments. Um, to me, that was right on. Thank you so much, Nicole, for calling in and saying all the things I think are at the top of a lot of our minds. Um, I think absolutely to get that diversity, to get the folks um, who are parents of young children, that's such a perspective that is critical to lawmaking. It's where a lot of our families are, and we need that voice up there. And it is so difficult to do that when you don't have the support systems. Not only does it take a village to raise a child, you need finances to do that. And so um, if you expect folks to be able to step into a place and not have 
that kind of support. And I'm talking about holistic support, not just um, pay, but also as people are saying here on this call, um, uh, paid staff, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I just don't see it as a sustainable model that can really allow folks of all different backgrounds to really thrive in that kind of space. Okay, thank you. And professors, uh, one of the things Nicole talked about there was paid staffers. We've already kind of touched on this, but how many more staffers are we talking about? What kind of implications does that have on the state's workforce or housing? Are they going to be in Santa Fe? Like, what what are your ideas about uh, increasing the numbers of staffers? Well, our um, our report doesn't address this directly, uh, but. You know, one could imagine that have you know a legislator having a, a a policy staffer, perhaps somebody that's you know serves them while they're in in Santa Fe or um, you know outside of the session in a in a constituency office, but a policy staffer and maybe somebody else who does constituency relations work. Um, the, the caller made a really important point, uh, and and the word she used was complex. And so what's happened over time, certainly since the you know, our, our constitution was written is that the world has become a heck of a lot more complex. And it's really difficult to, uh, you know, be a legislator in this environment where you, you don't have any resources really to, you have little capacity to, to deal with these issues. Um, but I also want to make a, I also want to go back to the story that the legislator told, which I think illustrates perfectly the sort of the conundrum that people face when they think about running for for office in New Mexico. This is not a normal sort of volunteer kind of activity. Uh, it's an order of magnitude different. Okay. Uh, Kathy, I wonder if you have any input on staffers. And with and actually, you know, we are going to have a sitting uh, House representative, Angelica Rubio, join us pretty soon here uh, on the call. And maybe I should hold that and come to her uh, with it. So instead... Let's just say New Mexico's already struggling to fill vacancies in nearly all of the state agencies, often because of low wages. What kind of pay should staffers get? Is that something you addressed in the report? No, we didn't. We didn't address the issue of uh, of, of staffer pay. Um, you know, there are there are models out there. There are ben- there are benchmarks. You know, that we could probably point to in terms of setting those those salaries. But our report doesn't address it. Okay. Uh, Kathleen, I wonder, do you have an idea uh, as a former staffer yourself of what sort of wage would be appropriate for that kind of work? You know, um, one of the reasons why people accept sort of the inhumane conditions that exist up there during the session, especially toward the end, um, legislators are committed. Staffers get paid really well. Um, it's hard to find jobs relating to government and policy in New Mexico in general, and then it's hard to find them that pay at the level that the legislature does. So it's a good salary. I'm not saying it's overwhelming that people get for being up there. And I don't think there'd be a problem uh, finding people to staff. And and just let me say that what I'm aware of is there are several sort of ideas floating out there about staffing where people would um, have a, uh, a, a dedicated either full-time or half-time, which depends on the tolerance for, for funding and cost uh, for policy matters. And that could be somebody in their district, or there could be a district office or regional offices and people share. I mean, there are a lot of ideas floating around. The devil will be in the details, but the, the main point is the momentum is there. And this and this show is great for educating people. I, I want to I just want to mention one thing, which is that there's in addition to the Bieber study, which people will hear more about and and the professor's report, there's also polling that's been done by Common Cause New Mexico. And, you know, the the. I think it's 28% of likely voters not only believed that legislators were already paid, but they they were paid $75,000 a year. And I know the representative will sort of smile about that. But, but, you know, educating the public about what the actual circumstances are is really important. So thank you for doing this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. You have something to add. Go ahead. Just really quickly to that, um, I I wrote an op-ed prior to leaving my seat, and it was just about how all of the issues that we're talking about today, and I think the overwhelming feedback I got from the public was that they had no idea legislators weren't paid, so I just wanted to add that in. 
Okay, so we got to get the word out and see what kind of support we can drum up for y'all. Thank you. Um, you know, Kay, you you told us you couldn't do your job away from the legislature during the session. I imagine this would be aggravated by an even longer session, but that's one of the things we are talking about, you know, uh, extending the session either on those 30-day uh, even session years to, to 60 days or longer or extending both ses- both even ad and odd number sessions. If you had a salary, would you have considered giving up your regular job and just committing to being a full-time legislator? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's smart to lengthen the session times to have it such in a condensed way. It makes <laughs> um, legislating nearly impossible because you're on such a quick timeline. You don't have the time you need to do the research you need to do to have the conversations you need to have within the community to pass really good laws. Um, so I think like, yes, and also to have the capacity to do that in a way where that is your full-time job, it makes it much more um, feasible to be able to do that, to show up, to have um, the ability to do all of those things and not be pulled in 10 different directions trying to um, keep your lights on um, and to still do the good work. Okay, I want to bounce back to Professor Raka. Why is creating a salaried legislature integral to making it, uh, making it a modern and professional body? That's a, that's a really good question. And one of the things that, that research has shown with salary is that it will diversify the candidate pool for the legislature. Now, there's really mixed findings when it comes to who have... Ha- um, general election outcomes about who actually ends up winning but it will for one one thing we know for sure is you provide salaries it will incentivize a greater range of candidates types of candidates and more uh competitive let me say it would be uh we have a lot of uncontested elections here in new mexico so it'll make it'll lower that number as well so it'll, it'll increase the number of contested elections that we have in new mexico by providing let's say a salary the, the one argument that Tim and I make that I think is the most important we've done in a report and also a number of other uh, opportunities in public venues is that it's just the right thing to do. I mean, at some point, I mean, we, we've already talked about a number of times on this, on this broadcast about the challenges that New Mexico faces and about how, how quickly it's changing demographically and in its population and economic growth. And we all know about the, the challenges in education and healthcare and immigration and so on. These are issues that, that we need to give the, we need to give legislators the capacity to do it, first and foremost. And second, um, they're up there in Santa Fe trying to solve these really complicated issues for free, right, with no pay for, as volunteers. So we can't, it's just not fair to ask them to do that. So salary would go a long way in doing what we believe is the right thing to do here. Okay, well, then that leads to an ethical question. So, Kathleen, how would it work? I think it's safe to predict an outcry from voters if legislators voted to give themselves a paycheck or a pay raise in the future. It may be unethical to ask more of lawmakers without offering a salary, but there are also the ethics of finding a fair way to make decisions on compensation. Do you have ideas for that? Yes, uh, and most support is for an independent salary commission. Uh, people who would sit independently of other government agencies and try to decide, you know, what do we want to use? Do we want to use medium, uh, median salary here in New Mexico, average salary? What What's the appropriate way to fund this? And again, those details all need to be worked out. Uh, but but I, I agree with the professors, it's, it, and we agree with the professors. It's the right thing to do. It, it, it is time, given the complexity of issues here in New Mexico. Okay, you are listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Kave Movahead. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a minute. At least two Montana officials publicly espoused viewpoints about the state's tribes recently that go counter to basic civil and legal rights. They join a growing chorus of anti-Native rhetoric and policy proposals aimed to diminish sovereignty and tribal political power. Does such talk have any real influence? We'll find out on the next Native America Calling. Weekday mornings at 11 on KUNM.
Did you resolve to make 2023 the year you'd clear out stuff you don't need anymore? If you have an old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or farm equipment that isn't worth fixing, we can help you keep that New Year's resolution. Just call 888-KUNM-CAR. We'll tow it away, sell it, and send you a tax receipt. Plus, you'll get a KUNM membership good through the rest of the year. Just call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're taking your calls on revamping the state legislature. Call 505-277-5866 to share your ideas. Let's now take the opportunity to hear from an active lawmaker who's been working on professionalization and modernization in the legislature. We have New Mexico State Representative Angelica Rubio from Las Cruces joining us by phone from Santa Fe. Good morning. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, you got a few waves here in the studio. Uh, we've been talking about the political implications of having a more professional legislature and the different ways we can modernize. I've heard you're among a coalition of women legislators that have been working on this. Tell us about the group you're working with. Yeah, so um, I was elected uh, in 2017, and I introduced legislation pretty much around the first the first year that I was in office. And it's just sort of been this ongoing issue that I've been really working on. But um, right when the pandemic began, um, about eight of us decided that we wanted to really tackle the issue of broadband and connectivity in the state of New Mexico. And when we were really successful in working collectively on that issue back in 2021, uh, we decided that we wanted to go ahead and continue to tackle the big issues. And since this was an issue that was very important to me. I um, I helped to really just push this idea, and, and, and here we are. All right. Well, I'm wondering if the greatest support is among relative newcomers to the legislature, or some of the more established members also looking for help? I think it's a mix of both. I know that we've been encouraged by legislators who've been here for a while to pursue this, mostly because um, I think in, on their end, it's the work that they've been doing to recruit new legislators has been really challenging. Uh, to be able to find someone to and and somebody who's super talented to be able to do this job, and then to be able to and then to say, you know, we don't actually get paid for this. I think a lot of people drop from that conversation. The newer legislators, I mean, we've come into this issue. Um, with taking a lot of sacrifice. I mean, what Kay has talked about, I mean, and, and what she wrote back in her op-ed is a very clear um, message around what many are struggling with, particularly because if you look at even our opening day on Tuesday, if you looked around the that House chambers, there were so many diverse women, particularly who are joining our, our House of Representatives, and many of them come with, with families and children and um, and different responsibilities that look much different than what the New Mexico legislature looked like decades ago. And so I think it's time. And um, and I'm really excited about that. OK, I'd like to read an email we got from Dr. Gabriel Adams. I do think our legislators should be paid so they have dedicated time to serve New Mexico and truly understand the problems and the bills that they sign. Without independent funds and time, they are subject to voting based on pressure from special interest groups and donors. HB 75, the Medical Malpractice Act, passed in 2021, is an example of this. If our legislators understood how detrimental this bill would be to New Mexico, they would not have passed. Uh, I'll admit I am not exactly sure what HB 75 is or what it did. I don't. Does anyone here in the studio want to chime in on that? No? Okay. Uh, we have another email. Uh, with paid staff, legislators will be less dependent on lobbyists to be experts on issues. There's so many complaints about how lobbyists are so powerful, but at the end of the day, legislators must get informed from experts. And if the only experts that are there are lobbyists, who else can they rely on? This is true for everything from technology policy, energy policy, or education, etc. Uh, Kathy is nodding over there. Kay, do you have a reaction? Do you, do you feel like that's what you lived through when you were a legislator? Yeah, I think everyone struggles with um, how to get the right information, how to get that in a timely way, um, how to 
do that and also be able to have a discussion with folks of what is the impact of these issues. Um, I know, you know, I come from the nonprofit world and from working with communities on the ground. I think I checked in with them a lot, too. Um, and how can you know an issue fully, right, if you don't have that kind of nonpartisan support and data to, to guide you through it? I think um, for me as a freshman legislator, I also rely so much on my colleagues to get support if they had expertise in the issue. Okay, and Dr. Raka, you have something to add? Yeah, I, I'd just like to add that that the academic, the research on this for the last 50 or 60 years is really clear. And it's it's 100% consistent with, with what you just read with the emails, what Kay and Kathleen have just mentioned as well. And the less capacity the legislature has, the more dependent they are on outsiders to provide the expertise. And this informational asymmetry that then happens push, puts the legislature and legislators at a severe disadvantage when it comes to writing the bills and passing policies that we need in order to alleviate a lot of these challenges that we have. And so that includes things like uh, pressure from lobbyists, pressure from bureaucrats. And one issue that we have not talked about yet in this in this broadcast that's really important is pressure from the executive branch as well, right? There is a major, the legislature, I mean, we have a full-time governor and a full-time executive branch who have big-time staff going all year, right? All year long. And the legislature cannot compete in that environment. And so we have a real imbalance of powers here in the state of New Mexico, just like in any state that has a less professionalized legislature when it comes to power and the separation of powers game between the legislature and the executive branch in particular. Okay, yeah, and that was actually on my list of uh, things to get to. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, as far as you know, is the governor taking up a public position on reforming the legislature since it might be against her interests to help build a stronger body that could complicate her agenda? You know, I, I don't. Maybe the, my, the, our the guests could actually speak to the position taking that the positions that that the governor is taking on this or not. Because I'm not a, I'm not actually aware of a, of a specific position. But I will say that there, it, I don't know if I feel that strongly about how how whether the a governor would feel that this would put them put put her or other governors at a disadvantage. I feel like that it would actually take a lot of pressure off of their office if the legislature were were a uh, at least at equal playing field. And one of the things that politicians, any political actor really appreciates is, is the opportunity to avoid blame. <laughs> and if you have a legislature who's able to create innovative policy and to, uh, and to pass innovative policy and to truly do innovation, which professionalized legislatures are found to, ha- to, to do, then it does take some pressure off the governor to have to innovate time and time again. Okay, uh, let's go to Representative Rubio. I wonder if you have any inkling of uh, what the governor's office, the executive branch, might be thinking about modernization or professionalization, since there is kind of a momentum brewing right now. Yeah, I mean, I know, I understand that our current governor supports the idea in general. Um, I think that it's it's pretty, um, like, it's pretty common for us to all agree on an issue like this, especially when we're talking about equity. Um, but I think the, the good news, and, and it's just as the professor was saying, is that it, the governor won't have to make a decision when it comes to issues like this because we will have to move through a constitutional amendment, which means that it can only be approved by the House and the Senate and then go straight to voters. So the governor doesn't necessarily have to have um, and uh, 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 she doesn't have to provide her her insight on it. I mean, neutral, which probably remain neutral th- during this process. Okay, um, and you know, oh, I see we have a caller. Let's go ahead and take Thomas from Taos. Go ahead, Thomas. Yes, hello. I am for uh, the legislators being paid for one. Uh, so they can devote more time to uh, their work uh, on behalf of uh, constituents um, and also so that uh, people can uh, so that the legislators uh, can come from more diverse economic backgrounds. But uh, my main concern is to get uh, money from outside the state uh to to somehow through um having paid legislators uh blocking money from outside the state so uh that it cannot be used in 
campaigns within the state, including being funneled through existing organizations uh, in the state. Okay, Thomas, so I think I understand you saying that you do believe legislators should be paid, but you also want to try to reduce the amount of influence of special interest dollars? Yes. Well, especially money from outside of the state. Okay. Uh, Kathleen, I wonder, you know, you have the report on lobbyists. How much money is coming from elsewhere to influence local politics? You know, depending upon the industry, Cave, it can be pretty substantial. So, for instance, like with the oil and gas industry, um, large amounts of money come in from corporations like Chevron and others that are based out of state. And for other, you know, groups, um, there was a group, I think, called New Mexico Strong that was based in Texas. So, you know, you, you get a lot of that. Can I, can I address uh, just one issue about uh, something we haven't talked a lot about? There are three things in the professor's reports that they address and that everybody thinks are part of modernizing or professionalizing the legislature, and that is staffing, increased staffing, compensation, and then length and scope of session. And we were talking about the governor's power. We have such an archaic system here. Every other year, legislators really can't choose on their own to deal with substantive legislation. It needs to be on a special message from the governor. So that if if we modernize in the proper way, we will take away that restriction in in alternate sessions. And so substantive matters can come in. This will help everybody. This will help citizens with complex issues. This will help businesses. They can compete better with surrounding states. It, you know, it's just essential that we bring things up to date. That, Kathleen, sounds like an issue that an executive might take issue with because every other year they kind of have a pretty tight control over whatever bills can be heard. It, it's all based on power. It's not just the power of the executive to delineate what what the legislature can, a co-equal branch, what the legislature can can look at. But it's also the power brokers who can influence the governor as to what can be considered. So for us, that's almost top of the list as to what needs to be changed. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, Representative Rubio, I wonder, are there legislators who think things are fine as they are? Have they spoken out against making changes? Are those voices you've heard? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we will be challenged with during this um, this session, and and just to to add to what Kathleen was saying, the coalition of us are working on three pieces of of the modernization. So uh, uh, legislation has already been introduced around extending session length. Then our compensation bill will drop today. Um, And then yesterday we we passed the feed bill, which incorporates the the study for staffing. But um, despite all of that and all the work that we've been doing in the last year, yes, Republic, uh, uh, the number of people, um, both Republicans and Democrats, have concerns about modernization. I think there's a lot of romanticism around the citizen legislature and the idea that we can come to Santa Fe for a few weeks and then go home and just kind of like wash our hands of everything that we've just done. Uh, I think that's become so normalized that um, the idea of becoming, I guess, part-time or full-time um I don't know. I, the only word that I can think of is romanticism around this, this idea that is going to be very, very tough to, to move away from. All right. You just mentioned the passage of House Bill 1 yesterday. You called it the feed bill. That included uh, – it's a big funding bill, but it included, I believe, $2.5 million to study – paid staffing and field offices and legislative districts. It's uh, through the House and onto the Senate now. How would a field office be helpful to you? I mean, I think part of the reason that I feel so um, strongly about this issue is because um, as part of the coalition that I've been working on modernization, we, we didn't have the answers. I mean, some of us, for myself, I, I, I represent a very small district, so I don't necessarily see a full-time staffer necessary all the time, at, whereas you have other legislators who represent like five to six counties all on their own that perhaps they need a little bit more support. And so between the nine of us who are working on this issue, we didn't feel confident in 
in, in making that type of decision. And so I think the feasibility study, which is supported by both leadership in the House and the Senate, um, I think is the right way to go to really figure out like what New Mexico is a very unique place. Like how do we figure out what the best uh, scenario is for, for our state when it comes to issues around staffing and offices and, and et cetera. Okay, we also have House Joint Resolution Number 2 that's been filed, and it asks for 60-day sessions, no matter which year, uh, a five-day break after 30 days, and that any business that doesn't get finalized by the, by the end of the session uh, would then get pushed to the next session. That sounds pretty good, but if this passes, you still don't have extra staff or pay for your work. Uh, does it make sense to kind of try to do these reforms piecemeal rather than one big comprehensive package? That was one of our discussions about it. Um, I mean, I think at this point, um, we we felt like it was it was better to just do them all together and and just be hopeful that we can get all three passed. But um I think the 60 days is reasonable since we're already doing 60 days anyway every other year. I think that it's, it's, I think if we're able to pass uh, Representative Figueroa's bill, um, I think it was something that we were able to come to agreement that we could, that we could, I think most of us could manage if the compensation piece doesn't, doesn't go through. Okay, Professor Krebs, I wonder if you can weigh on on this. Do you see it as a benefit to extend the legislative calendar without addressing the other faults you've ID'd in the report? Um, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, it will, you know, it gives, them, gives them more time, of course. Uh, it will create a burden on, on some folks who, you know, um, don't have the kind of flexibility that they that they ha- that other legislators have in terms of their jobs. I mean, that's one of the things that really stands out is that this creates incentives for people who are either retired or who are independently wealthy to serve in the legislature. So in that sense, uh, you know, paying people and giving the legislature more capacity will, you know, hopefully allow more people to serve. And I think we heard something similar from Kay Bungua and Representative Rubio. Last week when we talked, you said you were home packing in Las Cruces because you had to go to Santa Fe for two months. Um, if you had to do that every year and you didn't have the advantage of pay or extra staff, was that still going to be a benefit to you? It's rough. I mean, like I said, the negotiating between our coalition on whether or not to introduce it and have one path and not the other um, is is a big risk. But I mean, I think part of the reasons why many of us are serving is because we believe in public service and we know that a lot of this work takes time. And I think that the measures that we're introducing are a long time coming and we're very, very just hopeful that that this is the year that we get some real modernization done. Okay, Kathleen Sabo, go ahead. Yeah, Representative Rubio, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe if these constitution, if these uh, joint resolutions pass and the constitutional amendments then go to the voters, that would be in 2024, and we would have time to educate voters on these issues. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's going to be the big piece around all of this is public education. All right, voters, it's up to you. We've reached the end of this hour. Thanks to everyone who called in or tweeted to us. A big thank you to our guests. We have Kate Bunkua, Kathleen Sabo, Angelica Rubio, Mike Rocca, and Tim Krebs. KUNN News will keep reporting on the legislature, and we'll be sure to let you know if there's some movement on professionalization. Follow us on Twitter, hashtag Let's Talk NM. On Facebook, search for KUNM Radio, or email us your thoughts, let's talk at KUNM.org. If you missed part of the show, we'll have audio up on our website soon. You can also subscribe to the Let's Talk New Mexico podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next week, we'll talk about a warning last month from the state auditor about a lack of spending over site for charter schools. Our engineer is Marino Spencer. Jeanette DeDios handled the phones today. Taylor Velasquez live tweeted for us and Megan Kemrick produced the show. I'm Kaveh Movahead for Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.